Welcome back to the Archives podcast. I'm your host and producer, Marie Valindo. Today we bring you the sixth and final part of our documentary series on the history of the Old Town School of Folk Music, told through the voices and songs of the people who were there. If you haven't yet listened to the first five episodes in this series, I recommend going back and catching up before listening any further. If you've ever walked through the doors of the Old Town School, you might recognize this sound, the hum of people milling around and chatting between classes, ordering coffee, going in and out of the music store, and over it all, somebody picking out a familiar tune. There's a natural ghostly reverb in these halls, as if the tune isn't so much coming from down the hall as it is from another time and place. And it is, in a way. As much as the school has changed over the past 60 years, the halls of the Old Town School wouldn't have sounded much different in 1957. The stories you'll hear in this episode are from a handful of the people who make this place what it is today a community exponentially larger than it was 20 years ago, before the school moved into the old Hilled Library branch in Lincoln Square. Old Town School Executive Director Bob Graves remembers the first time he walked into that building. The day that I came for my interview, it was this horrible day in February, and it was freezing rain, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a slushy, rotten Chicago winter at its worst. Um, but I sort of slogged my way here and came up to the door, and there was a sign taped to it that said, Clawhammer Banjo moved to room B4 or something like that. And I came in, and there was some guy sitting over here playing the dobro. And, you know, I looked around, and here's the music store and cafe and the front desk. And I just sort of felt to myself, hmm, this is what I've been practicing for. My name is Greg Ostrom. And my name is Ba Graves, and I'm happy to be interviewed by my musical colleague and professional colleague and friend, Greg Ostrom. I remember when I first met you, Ba, it was at the um, the reception after the search committee had interviewed you to become the new executive director. And uh, there's a group of faculty and uh, staff that you met up in the lobby across from the admin offices. And uh, for our benefit, as a way of introducing yourself, I think you sang a song in front of that group. I was wondering if you remember what that song is and, uh, and why you chose it. I think the song that I played that day was I Love to Sing for People When They Talk by Carson <laughs> Robinson. Whenever there's a party, I always get invited. But though the greeting's hearty, I never get excited. 
Because they always say to me, oh, won't you sing and play? But the minute that I start to sing, they think of things to say. They talk and laugh and shout until they drown me out. I love to sing for people when they talk, talk, talk. Oh, how I'd love to take them for a walk, walk, walk. I'd take them to the river and stab them in the liver and throw them in and listen to them squawk, squawk, squawk. I wonder why they never bust a lung, lung, lung. I'd like to stop their necks up with a bung, bung, bung. The louder that I play, the more they have to say. Oh, I love to sing for people when they talk. And by that point, I think we were all talking over you. (laughs) Probably. I chose it because... It's a humorous song about a situation that musicians find themselves in all the time. Um, and I thought that there was a likelihood that those of you who were listening would appreciate it. Well, the farmer bought a tractor and it caused such an alarm. He only broke just one little piece and had to sell his whole damn farm. I remember in your first couple of weeks at the school, or maybe it was a little bit after that, but you... As part of a way of uh, learning what we were all about, you worked a couple of days in each department. You went down, you worked at the desk for a couple of days and maybe in the store for a couple of days. And I was wondering, what did you learn from that experience of getting around and kind of sitting in those positions? Oh, I, I just felt like Old Town School is this big, sprawling octopus of an organization. And prior to taking this job, the biggest place I'd ever worked had a dozen employees, and we've got almost 400 people on our payroll. So I felt like I just needed to introduce myself and get introduced um, all the way up and down the the food chain um, because there's so many different facets of what the school does, and I just needed to find out all about it. If I was going to actually play some kind of a leadership role here. I needed to know what was going on. Is that one of the reasons you decided to teach a class? Kind of have a no, different, t- different no, type I of wanted, relationship? I wanted to teach a class because um, I thought it would be fun. Um, I had, as you know, the class that I started off with was a mandolin ensemble, and I'd been the director of a mandolin ensemble for years, and it was something that I thought would fit in well with the Old Town School zeitgeist and that I would enjoy doing. And we are a music school, after all. And I said to myself, you know, it'll help me to be a part of this community if I'm actively teaching in it um, and not just sort of sitting up in the ivory tower of the office. From my perspective, I learned a lot in that class because I felt like over the course you know, it was probably eight years or nine years that we ran that class. I feel like I became so much better of an arranger as I was at the beginning of the class. I just got a lot better at thinking through how the parts were going to interact with each other and fit together well. And right, um, it, it, isn't that an interesting thing that the the teacher learns as much as the <laughs> students do? I dreamed that I was dead. I went up to those pearly gates. To St. Peter I said, I've just come here from old Chicago. He said, I declare, come right on in. You are the first we've ever had from there. A challenge of being a leader at Old Town School is figuring out how to balance the needs of a $13 million corporation that has institutional priorities that you have got 
to devote attention to for the health of everybody and everything. To balance all that with the face-to-face, personal, kind of quasi-anarchist style that this organization embodies. And those two things come into conflict with each other a lot. You know, the the anarchist side rails against the corporate side, and Mm -hmm. the corporate side is trying to drag the anarchist side um, into line. And trying to make that marriage is not always um, an easy task. Um, some days I feel like I'm doing a good job of it, but there's lots of days where I feel like, yeah, yeah, what am I going to do with this situation? How do you make fresh uh, and new something that is very valuable in its old tradition, but just like every tradition needs to keep on morphing and growing and changing and shifting if it's going to stay vital. Um, We can't stand still. We've got to keep moving. But while we're moving, we've got to recognize um, the heroes that got us to where we are today and whose shoulders we're trying to stand on wobbly. So you came on board uh, of the school on the right around the 50th anniversary, and now we're approaching the 60th anniversary. So that's, that's a 10 years you've been with us. In that time, what is your proudest accomplishment at the school? Well, we're sitting in it. Um, This building was the major obsession of the first seven or eight years of my tenure here. And it's not like any other thing that I've ever done. Um, I had never had to drive a project anywhere close to this scale or complexity in my life. And when you're in performing arts, you get used to um, the fact that your art is ephemeral. You know, the you work hard and you have the big concert and the next day it's done and you sort of have this sense of, um, you know, simultaneously being pleased and exhausted, um, but it's over. And you know how the audience liked it one way or the other. They either clapped or they didn't, but it's over in any case. And the day after the grand opening of this building, um, I drove into the office and by God, it was still here. (laughs) You know, just in terms of making a contribution to a community that is going to have an impact way beyond me, Um, this building is the most permanent thing that there is in my life, except for my children and grandchildren, I guess. What would you say is the one thing that the Old Town School of Folk Music does better than anyone in the world? I think the, the best thing that Old Town School does by far is nurture a community. Um, and I don't think Everybody would use the same words to say it, but in their own way, I think you could ask practically any employee in this organization, and they would say that we're here to teach people about music or dance or whatever it is that we're working on, but equally important is nurturing a community. And in 1957, there was a small community that 
constituted old town school. Today, there's dozens of communities, but they're all coexisting in this space. And I think that everyone believes that nurturing that and making sure that everybody who walks in the door can feel comfortable and feel like there's a place for them here is so important. My name is Carlos Antonio Cunha. My parents are from Puerto Rico, and I was raised in New York City. So I'm what they call a New Yorican. Right? That's what Tito Puente started that expression. I, um, when I was young, as you could probably tell, I, I was a hippie. I was, you know, my hair was even longer then. And yes, I was at Woodstock all four days. And, and yes, I'm, I'm that old. Um, but I, I was totally into like Led Zeppelin, the Stones, Jimi Hendrix. These are the people that meant a lot to me. And what impressed me the most was this guy called, the band called Santana. And it blew me away because it was rock that I was familiar with. But then he threw in the Latin thing, or the Afro-Latin thing, the, with the conga drum. And I went nuts. I recognized that. That was my culture. So he, he kind of made that instrument hip to my ears. Because, you know, at that point... Music like Tito Puente and all that stuff, that was my parents' music. Like I said, I was into more of what we call today the classic rock thing. But then came along this guy and, and, and combined these two things, you know, my love of rock and blues with the conga drum. So, of course, I got my first conga and then joined the band. And I have to admit, what was interesting about the time was it was, it was all happening at the same time as uh, the Black Panther movement, right? You had the Young Lords, the, the Latinos, you, you, uh, and then the, the American Indian movement. You had Women's Liberation. You had all these things happening at the same time, what we, what we call back then conscious raising, right? So, so, so I started really getting deep into, so in my culture, so I started going backwards, checking out what came before Santana. So, of course, there was Tito Puente, there was Mongo Santa Maria, Candido, uh, uh, and on and on, all these legendary conga players. And then, I, of course, I was then discovering what it meant to be Latino, what it meant to be Puerto Rican. What, what is a Puerto Rican? And, of course, you know, discovering my indigenous side, uh, my African side, let alone my European side, right? So, so that's, that was my journey on the drum. Who the hell would hire me other than Old Town as a musician? I have no credentials. I don't ha I'm not from a university. I, when I started here 20 years ago, I couldn't tell you an eighth note from a quarter note from a sixteenth note. I didn't I have no idea. I was, I'm a street drummer, you know? I, uh, and I had to, boy, I had to catch up real quick. I had to learn all those things, right? How to explain, how to be, I, I became educated myself along the way. One day I remember being, I was asked, oh, I, I, uh, Lenny Marsh, felt a great teacher and percussionist here in Chicago and part of the Old Town team, asked me to substitute his class. And I said, me? I mean, what, what could, me show kids? Well, I don't, I don't know what, you know, so then my class, that I, I really enjoyed it. Then I was asked to teach regularly, which I did. And then uh, Michael Miles asked me would I be willing to teach adults. I went, me teach adults? Were you kidding me? I, I, I don't know how to do that, right? And so I, I, I had a level one conga class. became very popular. And then they asked me, would you do a, a, a level two, an expansion? I went, me, what? I, I don't know. What. So what was funny was I knew how to play rhythms and really complicated folkloric rhythms on three drums. I had to break it down, how to play these drums. I had to go almost backwards. I have to tell you, teachers, especially drum teachers, um, 
especially Latin. I don't want to talk. Especially my experience having been with Latin and Afro-Latin drum teachers could be very harsh. I mean, I, I, I'm strict in the sense that you have to do it this way and you have to read it, blah, 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 blah. But I'm also repeat, I, I'm very gentle in the sense that I, I'm not going to look at you and go, what's wrong with you? You know, why can't you do that? What, something wrong with you? Hey, you know, in fact, I, I do it slow. In fact, if the, if the student in front of me does not get it, it's my fault. Um, as an adult, I've gone through a lot of changes here. One time, as an example, I, I got divorced. I remember coming to teaching class, coming in that Sunday, and at one point, putting my head down on the drum, and I started crying because my life was just so torn and upside down. And the students were very quiet, and then one student volunteered and said, shall we leave? And I said, no, I got to get through this. And the, and the whole class was very supportive. And I went, so much so that my class should have ended an hour earlier. I, every day, every week, I kept my classes an hour. I had nowhere to go at this point. And they so appreciated it because I put in an extra hour, even sometimes even two hours. Cause, hey, what the hell, you know? I, I was having a good time. Right after that, just when things were getting better, I got diagnosed with cancer and um, got through that. And unbeknownst to me, my daughter and Funkadesi and Old Town conspired to put this event to raise money for me for my operation. That was incredible. And uh, before my mother passed away, she got to see that. In fact, I was so nervous coming here. I was embarrassed at the attention that I came in through the back and my mother came with me because I was like, I couldn't believe it. When I walked in, I heard big band music. There was a big band playing in, in, the, in the lobby for, from Lane Tech because these were students of mine who were kids when I taught them who are now grown-ups, you know? And it was like, God, how touching, you know? So that's what I mean, that this community of, of the old town has meant so much to me on so many levels, you know? Uh, it's giving me direction and, 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 and a purpose in life. Come on, get it. Come on, get it. No one to blame, so feel no shame. This is the time. Do what is right. Set yourselves free. Shout it out, shout it out. Shout it out, shout it out. I'm Julian Ross, and we're here to talk about the impact of the Old Town School on my life and my son's life. I'm here with my son, Christopher Ross. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. I am Christopher Ross. I first heard about Old Town School uh, many years ago. You were, you were just a little guy. Mm. Uh, it was in the mid-90s, and I was working. Yeah, he's still a little guy. <laughs> and uh, I was working for, a, uh, I had a federal government job at that time, and one of my coworkers invited me to a party at his house. And uh, when I got there, some, some people from work showed up. There were about six of them that showed up together with guitars. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were all acoustic guitars, and um, they all played songs from the same songbook. And I just thought that was so cool. It just got my attention right away that mm -hmm. you had this, like, folky song circle going on at, uh, at this guy's house. And, um, and I was just, like, wondering, you know, I asked him, I said, how do you guys all play together and play from the same songbook? Where do you guys, they said, we take lessons at Old Town School of Folk Music. And I said, where's that? <laughs> and, uh, and they told me where it was. And um, later, you know, flash forward right. now. Yeah, how many um, years? About 18, it's, it's, it's about 10, years. 12, about 10, 12 you know, years probably. Yeah. I wanted to uh, get music back in my life. You know, as a kid, I played drums uh, mm. starting mm. when I was about fourth grade and mm. then um, played up until uh, freshman year high school. Um, so I don't know. First guitar teacher was uh, Chris Farrell. Chris Farrell. Um, cool. I also had class with Dan Fulkerson. Mm, uh, I had some workshops. Yeah, yeah, great guy to take great. class with. He, he's a lot of fun. His class a lot of fun. I've got uh, Jimmy Tomasello now. Mm, cool. Um, Lisa DeRosia. Um, I've had um, 
Michael O'Toole uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did a lot of finger picking blues, a lot of Mississippi John Hurt. Mm-hmm. My first experience was I, I always go back to Guitar One, what I call Git One. I go back to Guitar One was, uh, again, my first teacher, um, Chris Farrell. And, um, and the music that uh, when he, uh, we were at the 909 location, and, um, and just one of the things is the pictures on the walls that they have there of, of like, you know, from the 70s and, and the musicians that were, that were around the school. Um, that was one of the things that really, uh, really influenced me. It created a, an environment. It created a, an essence, you know, sort of a, a vibe. Having that feel, feeling of belonging to this sort of long line of, of folk musicians and musicians in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always thought that having music in your life really does, um, it, it, it influences you in ways uh, that crosses over to other aspects of your life, mm. Um, mm. Uh, to work, mm. um, to family, mm. um, to, to anything else. How, how, does, how, how, how would you say that, that it does that? For me personally, it, it, gives, me, um, it gives me a space to be mm. creative. Mm. It gives me a place to sort of be away from the stresses of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives me um, uh, time to forget about uh, things that really kind of stress me out. Uh, with mm-hmm. like my job, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a, my job, it can be pretty intense. It's yeah. a really brain buster type job. <laughs> and, uh, it really uh, yeah. helps when I uh, when I go to music because mm-hmm. all of those all of that stress and anxiety from work and it, it melts away when I start to play, mm-hmm. um, okay. and so I really am very grateful that I've been here at Old Town School mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a place where I can learn any genre of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teachers are amazing, and uh, it really does. Uh, and when I'm here, I'm tremendously inspired to create. Uh, it's harder for me to create when I'm at home because I've got responsibilities around me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got you know lawn <laughs> to no, cut, caring, you know, <laughs> chores house, to do, daily chores, you know, daily life, chores, life structure, yeah. um, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, but when I come here, I never want to leave. Marge Weber. And my name is Lara Weber, no relation to Marge Weber. We started taking some classes together and got to be friends, and I've enjoyed getting to know her story. When did you come to the Old Town School? Well, years ago, mm-hmm. I, want, I would have given my eye teeth to have been here, mm-hmm. but I had a whole house full of kids, <laughs> and that was never an option. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was always a dream in the back of my mind, you know, to be able to go there and learn how to play guitar. When I was about uh, 70, my son gave me my first classes here, and he and I started taking classes together. And we'd come, we would come down, I'd pack a picnic, we'd have a picnic, we'd eat, we'd go to class. We are still doing that. It is now a, a few years later. I think that was when I was 70, so obviously I've aged. I learned to play the guitar. I, um, two years ago, I started learning the fiddle, and loving every minute of it. And my son still comes with me every Monday. We have a class together. And you sing also. Yes. You have a beautiful voice. Thank you. So I, so I hear that you've been singing for years and years long before you started playing guitar. Well, it, was, it was, used to be what people did. Uh-huh. You know, you're in the car, you sing. You, mm-hmm. you have kids, you sing. Mm-hmm. 
so Marge, I was trying to remember exactly which class we first were in, and I think it might have been Elaine Moore's, one of her classes. I think so. And I thought at that time, that is a great teacher because it was she was so much fun. She was so much fun, and she's so um, she's just so embracing yeah. of new students, yes. especially. Yeah. You know. But I found yeah. that with with a lot of the yeah. teachers here. Yeah. You know, there's just there's, I think that was what impressed me when I first started coming here. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, nobody nobody was standoffish. The teachers were welcoming. You know, you mm-hmm. could. You, could, you knew you could ask anybody anything. You and I have gotten to know each other more in Mark Dvorak's right. classes. Right. And I think you've been working with him for a long time. Right, right. I've been working with him most of the time. And um, when I first started taking, really got serious about the, about the guitar, I got into his class. And, and I knew I had no business being in there. I wasn't ready for it. Didn't matter. I was going to do it, and I stuck it out. And um, he was always encouraging, and you know, so I'm still taking classes with him. a couple minutes about your relationship with Mark. Well, I, I just have gotten so lucky. I think I'm reminded him of his mother, probably. <laughs> but he's, he's so patient with me. The last time I, one of the last times I played at the Grafton, and I, the one song I totally forgot, forgot the words, forgot the chords, and he turned it into a comedy routine. People loved it because it was, <laughs> it was no music. It was just funny. <laughs> but I told him afterwards, I said, I, I'm I sent him a note and I said, I, I won't do that to you again. You know, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. And he sent it back and he said, oh, you really hurt my feelings. <laughs> of course you're going to do it. He said, I would really feel bad if you didn't. He really has been so good to me as far mm-hmm. as giving me chances to play and being there when I need somebody. Mm-hmm. And when we had the, the uh, funeral for my husband, Maura and Peggy and, and uh, Mark mm-hmm. played for it, and it was beautiful, just beautiful. When did you start playing with Mark Dvorak outside of the Old Town School? I, well, I might have been. The, the biggest thing was when I started having my birthday parties. When I was 75, I decided it was time to have a birthday party. I was going to wait until I was 80, but I was afraid I wouldn't make it. <laughs> so I had it when I was 75 and, and, and had him come to play uh-huh. And uh, Maura and Peggy came and they played, and, uh, and I that's, played. That's in the summertime, right? That's in the summer. And what do you call it? Like, <laughs> well, it started out, it was my birthday, <laughs> but now it's Marge Fest. People bring a, a dish. Mm-hmm. I provide the drinks. So we have beer and we have wine. We have soft drinks. We have water. Uh, they bring their instruments, and I, I play, Mark plays, and Maura and Peggy play, and then we have kind of an open mic People can play a couple of songs. Mm-hmm. And then about that time, it's starting to get dark, light the fire, and then everybody plays. Right. So it's just, it's just a fun night. We've had it now uh, for this past 
Uh, this will be the eighth year. So it's an annual tradition. I had, it the, I had it the first year, and I said it was so much fun. I'm going to have to have it one more time. So mm-hmm. it was my second birthday, my second 75th, and then my third, and <laughs> now it just goes on. Mark kept saying, we're going to do, put a CD together for you to have for your family so they can have something when you're no longer here. So we never could seem to work it out. A plane would go over or <laughs> fireworks were going on. It was always something. So he finally he said, well, why don't we get together? I'll come over to your house. We'll record some music, we'll, which is what we did. We picked out nine songs that I picked out, and we recorded them. He, he came over four different times. Then he'd take the music home and make it sound really good. And when it was finished, he said, I think we've got something here that's, that we ought to really do something with. So he, had, he sent it in. We had the CDs made, sold 350 just like that. So you got press coverage? I know that because yes. one of my colleagues <laughs> interviewed you. <laughs> well, yes, we did. He happened to be down there, down at the Old Town School, the, the night that my CD came out. So that was Eric Zorn. Yes, Eric yeah. Zorn. And he, uh, he put a little quip at the bottom of his article well, then I started getting people calling me. There was a um, reporter from the Daily Herald who saw that. And not to be outdone, he called and he said, could I come over? And that was in our local paper. And I, then that went, uh, Associated Press picked it up. Wow. And it went everywhere. <laughs> we were getting calls. I said, this is amazing. I don't know what's going on. What was, the, what was generally the headline? At 79, she uh-huh. makes her first <laughs> recording. go on tour? Well, we did, we did a number of places. We did quite a few, uh, you know, senior citizen homes and places like mm-hmm. that. It was it was always fun. And who was usually playing with you? Mark. It was Mark. Just then, Mark. Um, so, but you've also played with Peggy and Mara yeah, a bit. Yeah, I have. I, when, when I get a chance, and I always say, I don't understand why I keep doing this, because I'm a wreck after the thing is over and before it starts, my stomach is a knot. And I never, ever have played, I don't think, without either forgetting words or forgetting chords. <laughs> and then I say to myself, what am I doing? Why did I do this? <laughs> my son won't play out with me anywhere. He said, I don't have that gene. Mm-hmm. He said, I would not enjoy it. And I think, well, I don't think I do either, but I love it. And I mm-hmm. just keep doing it. So what does the rest of your family say about all of this? They are, they're just really... Supportive, every one of them, every one of them. They're very supportive, and they're usually when I'm singing at the Grafton, I bring a, a troop with me because the family all comes. My mm-hmm. grandkids come. My my uh, kids are there. So they help make sure you get to the old town school oh. and home safely every week. I think too, that's right? it. <laughs> Up until my my husband passed away a, a year and a half ago, and before that, I always drove myself on Tuesdays, and I. Oh, I said, that's my, that's my time out. And so I would stay as late as I wanted, and I'd get home at 1, 1 2 o'clock. So when I was alone, all of a sudden they were all interested in taking lessons. <laughs> so now I've got the whole family down here. I've got my daughter, my son-in-law, my granddaughter. 
They're all taking classes. Well, I've just enjoyed getting to know you so much through our classes. And when we talk and, and, you know, the things you're saying about Mark and other people, I feel like you're so welcoming and, you know, you've been playing for years and I was this new kid who, you know, came in and kept coming over to the Grafton and kind of making my way up. And, and I just really appreciate how welcoming you've always been too. And, and I, and I just feel like I've known you longer than I have. <laughs> I feel like I've known you for a long time. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. I yeah. love that. Obviously the Old Town School has found a place in your life that's pretty, seems to be pretty central with all the other music you play. Like, how has it influenced your life in the last I, years? One of the things that I find that's been really special, it's the only single thing in my life where how old you are doesn't matter. I mean, I have, I have friends here who are, are the age of my kids, the age of my grandkids, my age, not too many, but there are a few. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and that's, it's just great. I, I really believe that the, when I walked in the first time, it changed my life. I mean, it was, it was mind-blowing, and it's just gotten more so. I said it's, it's like going to a church. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a community. You feel, you feel welcomed. You feel at home. And it's always been just that. Zelda Zirkel Morris. I'm 15. My parents, when I was a baby, signed me up. They knew about the Old Town School um, from friends. They lived in Chicago for a long time. And they signed me up for Wiggle Worms, which are classes for babies and like toddlers, because I was always responded to music very well when I was a baby. And both my parents um, play instruments. And they wanted me to have like music training. Ever since then, I've been taking classes at the Old Town School, Um, so that's been, you know, like 15 years, and I've just had nothing but positive experiences here. I started taking guitar lessons with Jason McInnes when I was seven, I think. Both my parents are taking lessons too, so I was pretty much for a good, like, five years at the Old Town School, like, five out of seven days of the week, and I just have this really strong connection with it, um, just because it's like a second home to me. Jason has always been a really big mentor to me. Um, So, like I said, he taught that first guitar lesson, and um, I kept taking lessons with him um, for three years until I, like, aged out of his group. But uh, after I had been taking lessons with him for about a year, he invited me to join his band, the Young Strachey All-Stars, which is a youth-led folk band uh, in Chicago that plays um, not just at the Old Town School, but all over the city. I just left last year. Um, I was in the Strachies for like uh, six years, and it was just the most incredible experience. I had so many amazing opportunities. We recorded an album while I was there, and we, you know, we played every year at uh, Square Roots, the Old Town School Festival in the summer, and it just created this amazing environment that I was so lucky to be a part of here. When I was like 11 years old, I was like, 
um, you know, playing Taylor Swift covers on my guitar and stuff, but, like, I didn't really have anywhere to perform it. I was, like, in my bedroom. <laughs> and so uh, my parents were like, okay, we're going to have to keep listening to this unless we find her a place to <laughs> perform. So we uh, found the teen open mic at Old Town School, and um, we went to one performance, and it was just, it just blew me away because um, I guess open mic has kind of this, like, idea around it where it's, like, not everyone is, you know, the greatest but like everyone there is like amazing like everyone has such stage presence and they were just all so passionate about what they were doing like you could really see that they cared about it we signed up for the may open mic um a week exactly a week after i had turned 11 which was the age limit i just immediately like i was hooked and so i kept coming back every month and i'm still going back it's my fourth year and um it's it's kind of evolved in uh, the Armitage location, like when I first started coming four years ago, you know, we barely filled up that hall, but now like we're packing Zold Hall for the showcase and stuff. And it's really become, you know, this amazing space. Um, it's so supportive and like everyone is so caring and it's just a really amazing space to be in. They have a camp for younger kids, too. Um, so I started that when I was five, and I did it all the way till I was 10 when I aged out. And when I was, I guess, 12 or 13, um, Alicia Manson and Michelle Alba, who were also involved in the camp um, for younger kids, um, emailed me and my mom, and they were like, hey, we have this really exciting project, and um, we know that Zelda loved camp before, and we were wondering if you guys would be interested. And of course, we were like, yes, 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 please do it. <laughs> that was like the first teen camp year. Um, so that was, I guess, like two years ago. It was um, four weeks long, and every week we would have like a showcase at the end of the week. So for that entire week, you would be working on a project or a few projects. And then at the end, we went to various places in the square, like um, Borelli's Pizza or Gideon Wells, and we um, presented these projects that we had been working on to like our family and friends. Um, and so how that's evolved over the past two years, now it's their two-week sessions, and we have one big showcase in Zold Hall at the end of the two weeks. So as we were getting this camp where like it really kind of gathered speed and more kids were signing up and more people were coming to the showcases, we realized that there were there was a lot of programming for adults and a lot of programming for kids. But once you get into this kind of weird area of like 12 to 18, there wasn't much for you to do. And I had also noticed myself not coming to the school as much because I was taking private lessons for voice but still most of the stuff that I would go to before what just wasn't really like for my age, age range anymore. So um, we founded the Teen Advisory Council. A lot of places over the city have them. Shedd Aquarium has one. Um, Museum of Contemporary Art has one. And um, so Alicia, Michelle, and um, Ian Wilson who heads up the teen program yet. Yeah me and I guess like eight or nine other teens would have like monthly meetings where we just figured out how to make the teen community in uh, Old Town stronger and just a more realized program.
had a teen takeover night um may 2016 where we had workshops in um, the armitage location um like in songwriting and stand-up comedy and everything like that where kids could come and literally take over this building and it was really amazing we had like a um like debrief meeting after and we just saw all of this art and like this positive like energy that was going on and um we just really realized that this was kind of something that the school was you know missing like so teen camp and um teen takeover nights and also our teen open mics it's just really become these positive spaces where teens are allowed to come and just make stuff. I love Old Town School so much because it's like a second home to me. Everyone here is just so kind and welcoming and I've never met like a person who was anything less than that here. I feel like I'm just a part of the community and it's been so exciting to have them watch me grow up that now I get to watch the kids who are Wiggle Worms now grow up and um, you know hopefully get to play music with them when they're my age. The school is just such an important place to me that I hope you know it's been around uh, for half a more than even half a century and I hope that it can continue to be a place for other people like it was for me. And I want to make sure that teens all over the city will have the privilege that I did. I want to make sure that it also remains accessible because, you know, unfortunately Chicago is such a segregated city that I want to make sure that Old Town School is a place where no matter who you are, you know, we're all united by this, not just folk music, but, you know, making art together. I, d I also hope that we can find this like right place for teens um, and I hope that it can keep being a place where you can just come and be safe and be happy and make art. This has been The Archives. I can scarcely believe it, but this has been the final chapter of our documentary series on the history of the Old Town School of Folk Music. Listening to these stories has been a consistent reminder of how much this community means to so many people and how much it means to me. We'll be back with more podcasts in a few weeks, but for now, this producer is going to take a well-earned break. In the meantime, you can keep tabs on our work by following the Archives podcast on Facebook. Thanks to the over 100 people who have shared their stories as part of this ongoing oral history project with StoryCorps, many of whom you heard on this series. And thanks to the Old Town School community. It would be impossible to include the stories of every single person who makes the school what it is. There are so many people who do that in so many ways. But if you have an Old Town School story to tell, you can still share it by using the StoryCorps app on your computer or mobile device. To learn how to participate and to hear more stories, go to oldtownschool.org slash StoryCorps. That's S-T-O-R-Y-C-O-R-P-S. See the episode notes for detailed information on all the music and interviews you heard today. I'm your host, Marie Valindo. Thank you for listening. Sometime had a blues a little bit, baby. That's the glory of love.